Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Brian Custer, and our new podcast partner is Athletic Greens. You know, I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted more energy, and I got to say, I really love it. Uh, Athletic Greens, it doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has that really mild kind of tropical taste, and I'm telling you, you're going to like it. So what is Athletic Greens? But I'm going to tell you one delicious scoop of AG1, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. And it contains less than one gram of sugar. There are no GMOs and no nasty chemicals or artificial anything at all while still tasting good. And it supports better sleep quality, recovery time, and also supports your mental clarity and alertness. AG1 is a small micro habit of big benefits, and it's the one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. And it's lifestyle friendly. So uh, whether you eat keto, paleo, you're vegan, you're dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it costs you less than $3 a day. And additionally, for every purchase, uh, AG1 is donating to organizations to help get nutritious foods to kids in need. In fact, no kid hungry here in the U.S. Well, in 2020, Athletic Greens donated 1.2 million to kids. Now, look, we're going to make this thing simple because Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you've got to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash last stand. Again, athleticgreens.com slash last stand. Take ownership of your health and get yourself Athletic Greens. It's the last stand. And here is your host, Brian Custer. That's right. It is the last stand. We bring you the biggest names in the sport. And in the sport of boxing, you talk about trainers. Our guest is one of the best. He is the 2020 WBA, the 2017 Ring Magazine Trainer of the Year. None other than Derek James. DJ, so how are you doing? Hey, welcome hey. back to the last stand. I'm here. I, I, I'm happy to be here, man. Now, let me get a little clarity. It's 2020 WBC uh, Trainer of the Year. Yeah. And 2020 Sports Sports Illustrated Trainer. How about also. that? So yeah, so see, we kind of leave. If you gonna there's say, a, there's it, a couple say of them. If you gonna got say, a couple it, of say them. it, got you, got you. No, stay corrected. Saying, I'm just saying. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so you have a big one here in April, right? Pay per view. Ugas, he's a champion. Right. Obviously, Arrow's got a couple of belts. Right. What kind of fight though are you expecting? Because it seems like you got two fighters who come forward. Right. Or we expected a chess match. I think it could possibly be a chess match. I think that uh, Ugas is a great fighter, he's a great competitor, and he's a great counterpuncher. So I think it's all about being intelligent. I mean, because he has to be cautious as well, because Arrow counterpunches also. So I think that it could be a great chess match. Mm. I know Arrow said at the press conference, fireworks. Right. Yeah, I want fireworks. Right. So right. it seems like he he wants to bring the action. Right. I would assume to him. Right. I mean, I think that. He wants to bring the action because he always does. But sometimes, you know, it's like, I think it's like uh, whenever that presents itself. So, you know, you kind of control the tempo. 
or you would like to control the tempo, and I think that's what he's talking about. The one thing about Ugas, really skilled, has always fought top competition right. on short notice right. and beat them. Right. We saw what he did against Pacquiao. Now he's got a full camp. Right. Tell me why Errol Spence is going to beat Udenis Ugas. Well, Errol Spence is, um, he's been training for this his whole life, no different than Ugas. I think that his fortitude, his toughness, and the skill set will get him over, which, you know, Ugas has a phenomenal trainer. So it's all about strategies and the meeting of the minds. And I think that hey, I know that I feel like I'm better. You know, not that I'm in competition with him, but we're going head to head. I know that Errol is a better fighter than Ugas, and we'll see that. I mean, better skill set, he's sharper, he's uh, more crisp, and I think that that'll make the difference. In boxing, sometimes a guy's story and his hunger is something that, you know, you can't quantify. I mean, you right. can look and say, right. okay, I can see right. he has a jab. Right. I see. But then what a person has gone through. Right. And both of these guys have a really interesting Without story. That's right. That's you right. Know, yeah. I mean, let's be right. honest. One fought death. Right. Uh, right. The other one fought death trying to get here to the right. States. Right, right. Uh, is that a concern that this guy's hungry and he finally feels like I'm getting the respect I deserve and the only way I'm really going to get it is if I beat an Errol Spence. You know what's funny is I love Ugas for his whole story. I love him for his fortitude. I love him for his determination to get to America, right? I love him for the fact that before the fight, when he fought against, uh, like I said, Pacquiao, I went into his locker room and told him, don't get it. The stage was set for you. You're filling in. Make the best of it. Be great. But up until that point, and then it's our time after that. So right now, it's really like... I think that, I mean, you know, Ugas' story to get here and to get to this particular point. But Earl is constantly creating the story over and over. There's always constant adversities in life, success with fame, with all the other things that come with it. And he's been able to fight through that also. So with Ugas having that same air to try to prove him something, prove something to everybody else, Earl had that exact same thing. And maybe even a little bit more because his, his difficulties are more recent and him having to prove himself over and over again. And listen, Ugas was the guy coming up. Errol is the champ. And it's like, in a sense, almost like possibly disrespectful that he has to keep proving himself over and over. But it's okay because it's the life we live in, it's the game we're in, and he's always up for the challenge. You know, Errol uh, said this, and I want to read, read it to you, because the last time we saw him was against Danny Garcia. Right, right, right. He said, quote, I wasn't right at all against Danny. Maybe 80 to 75%. Yeah. I could write a book about my training camp. A lot happened for that fight. What happened? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know what happened, but I mean, it'll be in my book. What really, I mean, well, we can't talk about, but listen, put it like this. He was about, I think it was less than that. I think it could have been like 40, 50%. Mm. That's what I believe in fighting Danny Garcia. So I think that, and he, great strategy, great game plan, great fight. He, he implemented, he did everything he needed to do, but I think that, in this fight, everything is great. And I say that it's just conditioning, all the other things are great. And that Garcia fight, you know, it was some stuff down the line. But, he, I mean, he's good, though. He's great. I mean, no, nothing to talk about. That fight with Danny Garcia was 14 months after right. the car accident. Right. Right? Uh, it's going to be basically nearly nearly a year and a half since we've last seen Errol right. Right. in the ring when he steps in the ring against Ugas, plus coming off eye surgery. 
Why should we believe then that we're going to see the best of Errol Spence? I think that you always have to, I mean, people are always skeptical. Uh, uh, every time I tell them, like, even for the Danny Garcia fight, every interview I did, I told them, listen, man, he's back to where he was before. They didn't believe me. They thought I was lying. Like, why would you just call me a liar? I mean, you hear all the reporters. But then this time, this is eye injury. It's a little, it's far less damaging than a car accident, right? And he's been in the gym for, like, um, months. So you'll see him back at his, at his, you know, at himself. I mean, you know, you'll see him doing everything he does. I mean, and I think that that, you'll see why he's great. Um, some fighters are good fighters. Some fighters are great. Some fighters are special. Right. Um, when I've asked other trainers, I've even asked other fighters, what do you think about Errol Spence Jr.? And they all have said some, some like, oh, yeah, I love him, I love him. But others have said, hey, look, not extremely athletic, hard worker, grinder, just wears you down. What do you think about that? I think that, that it's funny. And the thing about it is we're living in an athletic era right now. And what I mean by that, guys switching up left-handed, right-handed, guys bouncing around the ring or whatever. And if you think about this, that's all they have is their athleticism. Athleticism is fleeting. So when you hear somebody answer asinine question like that, like that's not saying Sugar Leonard wasn't athletic or Muhammad Ali wasn't athletic because if you see him, they had rounds that would bounce around forever, right? And the athleticism, but they had skill and technique. That's the difference between the fighters today. So when they see Errol, Errol is boring. He throws basic technical punches. And people want to see the pizzazz and the flaw, the, the flair, right? But that pizzazz and flair only lasts so long. You know what I mean? It's like athleticism is fleeting. So you need technique and skill to have longevity in boxing. And these guys, everybody wants to show. But Errol's show is slow and steady, and they can't deal with that. Take me back then to October of 2019. What time was it? when you got the call and, you know, Errol has shown the pictures on social media right. of what he looked like. What went through your mind as soon as you went into that hospital? Well, I got the call about four something in the morning. And I was getting up because I was going to work anyway. I had to go to work anyway. So I figured I'd just, you know, and then they told me. So when I got to the hospital, I saw the police that was on the scene and he kind of told me what happened. So. I, I was, didn't know what to expect, right? But then when he told me that, I was more relieved because he said he didn't break anything. He's with the doctor. He didn't break anything, so nothing, just a couple of teeth or whatever. So I never got to be upset, right? When I went in the room and you see him, you just have, because you have no thoughts. It's not, because for me, it was not about boxing or him ever fighting again. It was about my friend being injured, right? And so I didn't care about him fighting again. And so I had no idea what he would look like. But at the same time, I was, I was like, whatever it is, we're still, you know, we're still people. We're still together. So it doesn't matter. And, and when you saw him, what went through your mind? Hey, I just felt like it's going to take a long time for him to come back from this. You know, and it's, that's all he has this time, and that's what he needs right now to rest. And I... That's it. I mean, because you see him, you're like, okay. He was kind of like coherent because he could, you know, he would say something, but he really couldn't say anything. I think he was like, just like the trauma of hitting the concrete. 
probably, uh, you know, bother him a little bit where he could open his mouth a little bit, I guess. But he knew I was there, and that's all I wanted. That's all I needed to know that I was there for. Did you, at any point, did you have doubts? Like, I think that boxing career may be a wrap. I never thought about it because mm -hmm. it wasn't even my concern anymore. It was like, hey, man, whenever you, whenever you want to come by the gym, just let me know. Just hang out, hang out with the guys. It wasn't ever about boxing anymore. But for me, it wasn't. I was just about, listen, if you want to come by and hang out, just get a fit. Just come on, hang out. Do you remember uh, how long was it before maybe you got the call from him? Like, I just want to come by and, and see what's up. Mm -hmm. and what was that like? I don't remember how long it was, right? But I think it was just enough time to where he probably felt like he could do a little bit. So he probably had already kind of was up and started moving around and still feeling all the angst and the pains of that accident. But I don't remember the time frame. I don't just recall. I just know he said he wanted to come by the gym. It's okay. And he came by and he had his stuff. I'm like, what are you doing, man? He's like, I'm out. I'm like, I don't work out. I just thought you wanted to come by the gym. We wanted to work out, so I was like, hey, let's work. Did you give him, like, tests? Like, in because you're still a teacher. Right, right. In your mind, did you say, okay, I'm going to put him through maybe this kind of right. work because I want to know for myself right. that he's back. Well, what happens is this. When we initially started, I didn't know everything that was bothering him because he didn't go to therapy. We were working through the therapy and the training, right? So I didn't know that, and it was like um, – Every day, because we were just working out, and I wasn't thinking about the fights and this and that. But once we got to the fight time, every day was a test. Every day was, I'm working on this, I'm trying to get him to do this, I'm trying to get him to do that. So every day after that was a test. When you realize he's going to fight, it's a test every day because you got to constantly keep thinking, you got to constantly see where his state of mind is, where his reaction time is, where his timing is. So I'm always working on that and, it, and just... Uh, that constant, every day. So, like, my deal is this. I have to be 100% every day. And you can't, like, work him out. It's always, I have to be cognizant and say, I want to come in and be a teacher, but at the same time, I'm always questioning him, testing him, quizzing him at all times. And that's what it's all about. At, at what point did you know he's back? Hey, man, when he, every day, his reaction time. When I, I mean, really when I saw him spar, because we have been working, and testing him and testing him, and I saw him spar, right? And just see him get hit, whatever. I was like, okay, he's good, because he's back at it, he's back in it. And the whole way, it's always constantly testing, always trying to make him do this or do that, or see how I react when I do something, and that's what it's all about. Talk to me about y'all's relationship. How has it evolved? Because, I mean, I'm sure at the beginning it was teacher, student, and it seems now when you see you guys together all the time, it seems more like brother, big brother. How is that relationship? Yeah, I involved? think it's kind of more like big brother. I think that um, I'm not I'm not a guy trying to tell him what to do. You know, I'm just like a guy who's with him, you know, supports him, you know, and just, as his trainer. I don't really get into all the other stuff. I mean, you know, his father's here. And that's, you know, that's what his father's job is. I'm just here as, a, you know, support to train as his brother. And not necessarily, and I'm not a fan of his, though. I'm not an Earl Smith fan at all. See, I think, and, and to clarify that is that the fan only sees the great things that he's doing. My job is to see what he's doing wrong every day and correct those things so when you come to the night of the fight, you see something perfect. 
right? So I can't be a fan of his, because if I'm a fan of his, I'm gonna miss all these other things, just smiling and in awe of how great he's looking. It's not about that for me. Mm-hmm. And, and when you guys were going to fight Pacquiao, I remember he was talking a lot about this. This is going to be my legacy fight. This right, is right. I'm going to retire this guy. And then basically, what, a week or so before two the fight? Weeks, two, two weeks, Two weeks yeah. before the fight, it, you find out about the eye. Right. He's got to have – what was that like? What was that like uh, for him? What was that like for you that it be that close and you get taken away? I mean, I think that – I always say, I was saying, I said, when you make plans, life happens. And so that's the reality of it is that, that, that you know, life happens. I mean, um, and I still had to go to Vegas because Errol was promoting a fight. He had to fight his Frank and other guys on the card, so I had to go. And it was just like, I was like, man, I really don't want to go out there. So it was kind of upsetting, you know, because you know that this is your time, this is your moment. But when you realize, and the, the fans were so, like, ugly and so saying some crazy stuff, right? So I was like, well, I'm going to have to have security or I'm just going to, I'm in shape. <laughs> you know, so you realize there's maybe a fight breakout or whatever, but um, it was like, it was that was just on social media, right? Because they would come at me on social media. I was like, I'm not going to get into that. But when you get out there, I was like, well, you know, I had to tell my brothers, listen, they can say what they want to say, but they can't touch us because I had to let them know. Do not, you know, just because, like, they're not going to let anybody come at me like that. But it was like, it was good, though. Nobody bothered me. And, but the moment, and the thing about this, I went out there when the ring and everything else said Errol Spence and Pacquiao, right? So when I came back, it was Pacquiao and Ugas. I'm just like, man, you know, so it's kind of crazy, you know. Like, it's life. I don't think a lot of people realize when this happened, there were a number of people who said, no, oh, he's just in one fight. He didn't right, want to fight Pacquiao. Right, right. It's fake. Right. And this guy is having surgery on his left right, eye or retina. Right, but right. there were a number of people right. who th- actually thought it was fake. Hey man, you know I saw people say it's the other eye, opposite eye. I mean I don't. I mean I don't know what eye it was from. I mean I remember he, he injured it. I remember that. I remember in the gym when it happened, right? But I don't know. I don't know which eye was which one. You know I just knew that he went. And you know, I, why why would you think about this? Why would you go to your legacy fight, the biggest payday of your career, right? The fight that means everything to you, and then you get to Vegas, because we went to Vegas two weeks early to train and prepare. Why would you do all that and pull out of a fight like that? So, you know, it's like, hey, man, you know, people, they say what they want to say. Uh, and, and when did he injure the eye? When do you, you remember that day? When you, when I, remember, I remember him sparring. I remember him, like, he kind of reacted to, like, ah. You know, we're like, what, man? You okay? Like, what? And so I'm like, ah, it's more on my eye. Like, and I'm like, okay. I said, let's get out of the ring. He said, no, 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 I'm going to keep working. And he kept sparring. I mean, so it's like, see, that's just the fighter that he really is. He kept on, you know. He didn't stop, so we kept working. This the thing was meant to happen, right? Because normally they send you your paperwork to get the physical weeks, months before the fight. But he always waits to the last minute to do it, right? And by him waiting to the last minute to do it, that's when he caught it. Because had he, had he took the physical and the paperwork and everything before the end, and the injury happened, that would have happened after that. He would have fought like that, could have lost his eyesight. Wow. So wow. it was like, it was all about timing and everything. It was like, it was meant for the Africa. Normally, you would go like a month before, I mean, get it out of the way. But because he waited to the last minute, that did it. I mean, that's how he found it. And, and even after the, the eye surgery, 
was there any doubts? Like, look, you, you didn't cheat at death. Now you got this. Maybe it's just written in the cards that this may be a wrap for you. Did that ever cross your mind? No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I thought I knew people who had happened and it happened to before, so it wasn't like a big deal. I mean, it's like, um, you know, you can't get that fight back. But listen, I mean, I wasn't even worried about it again. It's not about a friend. It's like, I don't, I mean, you know, if he fights again, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. You know, since the accident, heck, even since the eye surgery, you've seen a change in Errol, not right. only, mostly as a person. Right. Compared to, let's say, the guy before the accident. Right. He's got right. this ranch now. His lifestyle's totally different. Right. Right. Um, have you noticed a change in him as a fighter and as a person since all of this has happened to him? No, I think that he's always he's always been like that and kind of headed in that direction. And so being close and knowing him, I know him, that I know that's what he was looking forward to. Like he's looking for a house. He's like, he wanted, he wanted a farm, he wanted a ranch. I mean, listen, and he got what he wanted. But the thing about it was, the funny thing about it was that he had been looking before. So the person that, he, he was already going into this way, going into this direction and becoming this individual anyway. But it's like now, like it's like it's all acted out in the social media and with his accident, whether he's a celebrity or whatever. But he was already moving towards that way. Now his temperament, I think his focus may have changed more because nobody likes to be doubted. And I think he always feels like he has something to prove. And I mean, even like I said, as a champion, you still have something to prove. I mean, for him, and he doesn't comment to people when they say something on social media, but he does see it. And that's the thing about it. He's at, so he's out there to make a point and prove a point. Yeah, I thought it was, he said something really profound at the press conference where he said, you know, you got to realize I don't take anything for granted anymore. Right. I've cheated or I've, I've basically uh, had two life-altering experiences. Right. Right. And I'm going to take you know, advantage of every great opportunity right, that comes right. my way. So you can, you can, as you talked about, right. that focus has right. seen has really changed with him. Right. Right. Yeah, man, he's very focused because I think that he really realizes even more that you can have something one moment, one second, make plans, and then life starts to happen. I mean, so he, man, his life can change in a second, in a moment, in a blink. I think he really realizes that, and that's what's pushing him to be better. Can you take me back to the first time you met Errol Spence? <laughs> well, you know, the first time I met him, they didn't even we didn't we didn't get a name introduced or whatever. So I'll go to this gym to spar, and I the owner of the gym was a friend of mine. I said, "Well, I need to spar, work on defense." He said, "Well, I only have these little bitty guys." I said, "Okay, it's okay. I'm just working my defense." And Errol was one of the little bitty guys, and so he's like, "Man, he was <laughs> he he was, he didn't want to hit me because I think he thought I was going to hit him back." I know I'm just working on my defense. He was, I mean, his eyes were like. <laughs> How old was he at that time? He's like 15. So he had just started boxing, and you see me, this grown man in there. He's like, he's. <laughs> 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 he, he did not want him to, even though he did. But he's like, he's like, man, this guy going to be like, no, man, it was good. I, I remember clear as day, man. So, now take me back to the time where you you had to. You know, all of a sudden, be asked to be his trainer. How long ago was that from the first time you met him when you were a fighter in the right. ring? It was like three years. So what happened is, I go to this boxing tournament, and I go to support amateur boxing all the time. I go to the tournament, and normally I sit on the floor, but for some reason I sat in the stands, right? 
So it was like it was kind of meant to happen. And I go sit in the stands, and his father is recording the fight. And just so happened, I sat by him. And I said, man, look at him. He keeps throwing the same old punch over and over again. He kept throwing dub jab left, dub jab left, and like trying to kill a guy. And I was like, is that like, yeah, you think you can help him? I was like, yeah, I, I can help him. And I gave him my number. Then I said, like, maybe three months later, he called me because he didn't want to do it. But the father, he said his father was paying him to come to the gym. And we trained like every day, every day. But immediately when we started training, he started winning tournaments, like national tournaments. So it was like, it says that he had the tenacity, he had the hunger. He just needed a little more the direction and the skill set to be fine-tuned to get it. Because he had everything that he needed, obviously. And once he got it, he started winning everything. He's been very dominant. Well, he's always been a soft-spoken, right. kind of a quiet guy. And I remember you told me a quick, you told me something, and I didn't, I didn't believe you. You said when you guys started training, right. He probably didn't even say a word to you for like the first couple of years. The first three years, we never had a conversation. Come on, man. How you training this guy that he didn't because, talk to you? Because it was like, we never talked about, we would say, hey, you see the fight? Yeah, I saw the fight. And it was like a fight on television the weekend before. We just, it was all about boxing. So you think about three years of nothing but spending like an hour, hour and a half every day. Because he would come to, we would train like seven days a week. And he had another trainer, so he would go to the gym. So I was more like a tutor. And I was just would have been a tutor forever, right? I didn't care about being his trainer, but his father was like, he told the trainer, "Hey, we've been working with Derek." And the guy was like, "Okay." He said, "Well, y'all gonna leave?" He's like, "No, we're not gonna leave." And then the next day, he was like, came and said, "Well, I want Derek to work the corner." He said, "Nah, y'all came. He came work the corner." So the guy was like, "Y'all gonna leave?" So that's how it happened. But what happens is, I was like, "Man, I don't think I can do this. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I got a full time job. I can't. I can't do this thing." I, and so I'm in my mind, I'm racing like. I don't know how to do this. I can't, I can't. Because I, I didn't feel like I could be a trainer for him like full time. I could do the tutor thing. That's, I can do it all day long. But when I, we started, it was just like, man, he just, it, it, was, it was perfect. I mean, it, everything worked out obviously the way it was supposed to work out. We got the opportunity, obviously, to see you on Showtime win that championship, go to England. Right. What was that like for you as it, a trainer? It would, I would assume that had to be validation. Right. That, you know what, I'm pretty good at this. And well, look what I've produced. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't thinking like that. What I was thinking about was that that the redemption of going to the Olympics, getting robbed in the Olympics, and coming back and winning the world championship in, in the UK, right? Because it was in London, so we three hours away in Sheffield. So it's like that that's that's one of the things I was thinking about. Then I, I was thinking about how everybody told him and us that we weren't ready and what we would do. So even in the stadium. And I told him, I said, every one of y'all will punch you in the face. Every one of y'all, you know what I mean? So every punch he's landing is a punch that I'm landing too. So it was like, really, that was like the big deal. Yeah, that's all I was thinking about was that. You know, just every punch he's landing, all that work, all that time for him to be able to be established and be solidified as the guy. Because Carol Brook at that time was arguably the best welterweight in the world. So in the way he beat him and made him quit, it's nothing better than making the guy quit. Knocking out is one thing. To make him quit and submit is two different things. So, listen, you were a good fighter, 21 7, right? Right, right? And no, certainly no disrespect to your career, but it seems as if you have become a phenomenal trainer. And that generally doesn't happen when a professional athlete goes into coaching. Right. It, it doesn't seem to work right, out well. Right. How? Well, I had to learn, first of all, I think I was a boxing idiot. And I say that most boxers are boxing idiots. They just don't know it, right? 
They only do what the trainer tells them to do. They take instruction well. But they may not understand why and why and why. So for me as a trainer, I first had to go into the why I'm doing this and why am I doing that. And all of the things that I felt like I needed to know that I didn't know as a fighter, I made sure my guys knew, right? I made sure I explained it to them. Okay, if you do this, you get this. If you do that, you get that. So it was like they had the option to do either two. Generally, anybody's going to choose the one that's going to work. Then I had to remove myself from the equation, meaning that I could never compare myself to, I used to do this, I used to do that. That's where a, a fighter, a fighter, most fighters can't be trainers because they can't seem to remove themselves from the equation because they always had to throw what they did. How they did. That's why a guy who's a world champ very rare can become a world can become a trainer or a great trainer, right? Because regardless of how good he was as a fighter, it's hard for him to be a trainer because he can never remove himself from the equation. I had to take a seat and say, listen, this is what it is, and learn how to teach it opposed to, and I could show him how to do it, right, but never really try to belittle or demean him. Hmm. And I think some of your training techniques are different. I mean, even what you train and what you teach, um, different from what you see from other guys. Where did you get that from, and what what is – the, the the secret sauce of Derek James. Well, I think that the secret sauce I think is that, that I never give up. Like I never, I will never. If you're not getting it, it's not you. It's me. So I have to reward it. I have to repackage it. I have to do something different to get my point across. If I think it's so significant that I think that you need to know. And what I really do is the way I teach is that in reality, if you think about boxing, is that combinations are unrealistic. It's some something that see people in boxing. Keep these traditions they see, they see, they see, they keep doing them all over. How many, if you watch, you watch how many fights, right? Okay, how many times you see a fighter get hit three times with a combination, three punches in a row? Yeah, that's rare. Rare. So why would you practice something that rarely happens? Think about this, after you land the jab, the head goes back. So the right hand can't go there. And if you throw, say I throw one, two, three, this is what it is. When you throw the jab, the head goes back. The right hand makes it go even further. So this means you can't throw a combination, right? Because there's a, there's a heartbeat and reaction time every time. So with my, the way I work the mitts is that real-time reaction time. So you go, shot, uh, 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 uh. So it's like real-time heartbeats where it slows it down, right? And so it's not about, I, I, we never work combinations because it's unrealistic. I mean, people say, I'm, why would you go? Now, you can put your punches together, say that, right? Because you can go here, 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 here. Here, it's different than that's a combination. So that's why I was like, I, all the myths and rumors, and like I heard trainers say, you can't create a punch or punches are born. Yeah, some of them are, but with the right technique and rotation, it's a knockout. I mean, the guy who can pity pat in his whole career can become a puncher, right? The guy who's been told he can never be a puncher becomes a puncher and becomes Jamel Charlo. Because somebody told him he can never be a punch. You're never going to be a puncher. It's not about that. It's about the technique, right? When you teach him the right, correct technique, and he's punching with his whole, boom, the whole body. So you're not even hitting with your physical strength. You're hitting with your whole body. You weigh 150 pounds, 150 pounds of pressure, landing on, a, on, a, on an opponent. You know, it, it's, it's quite possible that by the end of this year, you could have two yeah. undisputed 
world champions. True. And yeah. <laughs> something that no trainer has really done, had ever right, done. Right, yeah. What does that say about Derek James? It says that I'm a hard worker, that I'm able to do things that I never think about doing until I'm in the process of doing them, right? So, I mean, it says that I'm, I have amazing focus, and I have fortitude to be able to deal with all of the ruckus to get me to a particular point. Listen, I'm certainly not going to look past Ugas at all. Yeah. But you know, everybody in this world wants to see your fighter, Errol Spence Jr. Right, and right, Terrence Crawford. Right, right. Are you just as interested in seeing those two finally fight? This is what my answer would be and has always been. I want the guy that Errol wants to fight. So that means that Earl said he wants to be the undisputed champ. That's what I want for him. That's what I want for him. Mm. Without a doubt. Mm. You also have, obviously, Jermell Charlo. Right. Who's fighting to be undisputed. Right. right. What does he have to do differently against Castaño to get the victory this time? I think that Jamel has to be the best version of himself. In that fight before, he wasn't the best version of himself. And that's not... That's his fault. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's our fault, my fault, right? Had nothing to do with Castaño. Castaño was who he always was. It was just Jamil was not the guy that he needed to be. And so that's, that's all it was. I mean, so just has to come in there, very focused. And it's one thing to, to kind of like think something of yourself, you know, pat yourself on the back or whatever. It's another thing to know, okay, I know this is a real true challenge. And I have to be the best version of myself in every moment, in every second, every of every round. What would that mean to you if if Jamel Charlo becomes the undisputed hey. champion at 154? I think it would be amazing. I think that it would be one more notch. It would be great because I helped someone attain a personal goal. And at the same time, he feeds his family, take care of his family. No different than Arrow. They feed their family, take care of their family with what I do and how, how hard I work to do my job. So I think it'd be beautiful. What would it mean to you to have them both be undisputed? Hey, man, I don't know. <laughs> hey, listen, I never thought about that. Even though I knew it could be a possibility, I didn't think about it till you said it, right? So, I mean, hey, hey, to have both of those guys fulfill their, their fantasies, because these are the fantasies that they talk about, that they want. I mean, listen, I mean, it's like helping those guys. That would be amazing. Be amazing, and then Frank fighting tight eliminated, so he could be a champ too. So, but, but it's like, hey man, to help 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 young men fulfill their destiny, and really what it does is it helps me to do more on the outside. Like I grew up in the Boys and Girls Club, Oakland Boys and Girls Club, so that's my my passion, my heart. I'm on the executive board of directors, so that only helps me help other people more. With the more I do in boxing, the more I can do on the outside of boxing. So yeah. And here's the one thing I love about you, because you are humble, but you have a unified champ right. at 147. Right. You have a unified champ at 154. Yeah. You have Frank Martin, who a number of people love mm -hmm. as a fighter. Is Derrick James the best trainer in boxing? They don't do what I do in the ring. Mm -hmm. So it's no competition, because it's not. They don't do what I do in the ring. Do you feel as if you haven't gotten your just due? Because it seems like you look at these years, Charlo racking up belts, right, right, right. Spence right. bringing racking right. up belts, right. and 
you know, there's the Eddie Reynosos right. and those guys will get Lomachenko's right. train. The father would get trainer of the year. Right, right. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. And hey, man, it's the game, man. You know, that's life. It's like, um, you look at it like this. It's the game. It's life. I mean, you know, I think Reynoso was an assistant coach before. So, you got, I mean, you can't take credit for that thing. But I think that, you know, if they, people, it's subjective. I mean, as long as I keep doing what I'm doing and focusing on what I'm doing and, you know, being able to provide for my family, helping everybody provide for their families and helping young guys who wouldn't have the opportunity to be in the particular space, that's all that matters, man. Because, I, I mean, you know, people going to say who they want and, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, now in this stable uh, from Spence to Charlo and obviously Errol now looks to be a promoter as well, he's got a, a, a great young fighter, Frank Martin. Right. How good is he going to be? Hey, he's amazing, man. And he's only, he hasn't even tapped the, like, the surface of what he's on because he's amazing. And I think that the better opposition he's faced, you'll see him step up to the mic and be better. All right, Derek. Now, you know, for everybody who comes on the show, we allow people to submit questions through social right. media. I've got a number of them for you. We'll get Uh-oh. right to them. Here we go. First one from James from Twitter asks, do you expect Spence to fight Charlo if Spence moves up in weight? No. Because, I mean, I mean how do I go from round the corner to corner? Do they come to both of them? I mean, how do you do that? I don't know. How do you do that? <laughs> Maybe in like in each different round, one of them get around themselves. So I give each of them six rounds a piece of coaching. Come on. I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, good yeah. fella. Also on Twitter says, are we going to see Jermel move up uh, after the Castaño fight? And let's say fight a Demetrius Andre eventually at 160 or even at 168. I mean, I think, I mean, you never know. I mean, I think that. They had that opportunity to fight before, and it never happened. But Jamel, I mean, Demetrius Andre fell out of the fight for some reason, or pulled out of the fight for some reason. So I don't know. I mean, anything's possible. Do you see Mel moving up in weight anytime soon? Well, we hadn't talked about it, yeah. but I mean, you, you never know. Buddy Lee from Twitter asks, "What was your favorite fight as a boxer?" A personal in your career. Fight, it sounds like in your career, who you had, where you you fought somebody, and was like, "Ooh, that was a good fight I just had." Yeah, I don't even remember. I, I think about that, but my favorite fight that I love, I love the Riddick Bow and Holyfield fight one. Hmm. It's one of my favorite fights to watch, but my fight, I don't even remember what mine was. Yeah. I can't, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're talking like you're old, man. You, well, you're a yeah. young guy. You're talking like, like your, your career was 40 years ago or something like you that. You know, well, it was like, like, let me see, 13 years ago. So I mean, <laughs> hey, a lot of things have happened in 13 yeah, right. years. Yeah, you know, I'm so with that. you. Right. Another one from Twitter asks, when will Ghost Martin be ready for a title fight, in your opinion? Soon. I think that maybe within the end of the year or the first of next year. Hmm. Next one is, who do you believe was trainer of the year for 2021? I don't even remember what happened in 2021. I'm just like, I mean, who, who, I mean, but, oh, it was Canelo's trainer. I mean, I because mean, Canelo did it. You know what I'm saying? He put him on his back. He, you know, he... He fought, you know, whatever. Yeah, it was Canelo's training without a doubt, yeah. Dre asks, from a trainer's perspective, what is the most challenging part of your job? A lot of times there's a lot of outside interference. You know what I mean? And really that's kind of the basis of everybody. Everybody knows what to do. I mean, and you know, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. 
the outside That's noise. Right Love it. Okay, we come to the final section of this show. We call it the last stand. Derek, I'm going to give you a serious question. Just give me the first thing. Right, right. Comes to your mind. You ready? Yeah. Do you feel like you've been robbed of trainer of the year the past couple of years? Come on, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, I didn't have to open my mouth and read my mind. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, in your opinion, who is the best trainer in boxing? Let me tell you who I like, other than myself. I like Robert Garcia. You know, I like, um, I mean, that's why I mean, I like Robert. I mean, I got a deep think deep into it, but yeah, yeah I like Robert because his technique and his technical, you know, when he teaches. Love it. Um, Spence, Charlo, Martin, who's the most talented of those three? I think that they're all equal in a sense. I mean, because the, the talent and the athleticism and what they do, it's all, all of them can do the same thing, right? I think that, but it's like, it, Airman man, fortitude, Jamil man, more flair, whatever, and, you know, and Frank is just, he has a lot of everything, so it's, it's real good. Everybody, because L is very athletic, they just don't see it because he doesn't have to use it. Is there ever, was there ever a fighter out there that you said, man, I would have loved to work with him. I could have done some stuff with that guy. Really, I thought that when Anthony Joshua came to America, he would have came, how do you come... To all the like, because at that time I had one trainer. Yeah. How do you go to all the second best trainers? <laughs> right, and not come see you. <laughs> hey man, that's the <laughs> game. <laughs> all the guys were like, I mean, I, I mean, right. you know, man, I'm just being honest. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you know, if you really want, and obviously they were not having the success. Right. So you went to the second tier trainers, but you want first tier results. Yeah. I'm just saying. You know. Anthony Joshua, you should have seen my man. You should have came here. Yeah, well, it's okay though. Man. Right. It's, it's, it's a, he, he'll know it. I mean. He'll know. Okay. Uh, last but not least, by the end of this year, will you be the trainer of two undisputed champions? Without a doubt. And I say without a doubt. So what does that say? That Jamel is going to win it, and, and Errol has to fight who? But so bro. stop asking those asinine questions. The guy keeps saying, I want to be the undisputed champion of the world, right? So what does that mean? I love it. I got to fight that guy. Yeah. So stop asking these Ask him nine questions when you really know if he's saying that he's been saying that forever. Stop asking these questions, man. That's all I'm saying. Like, yeah, goodness gracious. I love it. I love it. I think it's probably just because, of, you know, you hear, well, if we go fight, it's going to be 70, 30. Well, really, that, if, you, if, you, if you think about that, because I did the math on all this. i done the math, yeah. I'm telling you. So say hypothetically, he fights Sean Porter, because that's the, the two the competition we have. And, and we fought the same guy. Right. So with Sean Porter... Fight was $69.99. All right? He sells 130,000 buys. That is only $9,098,400. Nine million. But listen, Sean Porter got $4 million. Terrence Crawford got $6 million. So what does that mean? They didn't make the money that the paper you sold. They fought at where? The Mandalay Bay. 8,000 seater. Didn't sell it out. Yeah. Errol fought Sean. The Staples Center, 20,000 seats. 20,000 seats sold out with a different ticket price because you're in Vegas, Mandalay Bay. It wasn't, I mean, that's a bigger ticket price. They sold 700,000 pay-per-view buys. That is $52 million. 
dollars. Think about that. So you make on your biggest fight, your biggest pay, on your biggest pay per view, you make nine million dollars. On his fight with Sean Porter, he made fifty-two million dollars. So how do you even seven? Because his fight was seventy-five ninety-nine. And so what happened when you're talking millions? That ninety-nine that adds up. So you can't round it up to say seventy-six because no, that penny adds up when you're talking millions. So if you got one guy make $52 million in his biggest fight, another guy makes $9 million in his biggest fight against the same opponent, it doesn't even add up if it's a business. See, nobody goes into business not to make money. Only people who, I don't like to say this, only people who probably, for entertainment purposes, because it's entertainment for everybody, so they say it's entertainment. So only people who would entertain themselves or the people who may be more financially challenged than the other ones. Because the guy who's a businessman is not going to make that move. But somebody who spends the money and doesn't have the money to pay the people. Because that's what they had, that's what that's what's been happening. Then that's something that a guy who never had, you know, never knew anything about money and never dealt with money. Because when you deal when you deal with money, you have to take care of it, you have to harness it, you have to nurture it, and you have to watch it blossom. Can't be giving it away for nothing, getting nothing back. That's all I'm saying. I love it. I love it. I appreciate Last it. Last call. I, I love you. Yeah, pre- that's I, right. I, I love you. Appreciate it. Uh, right. Spending the time with me. Uh, best of luck. Right. On April 16th. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, that's what we do here on The Last Stand. We bring you the biggest names in the sport. And when you talk about trainers in the sport of boxing, the best, Derek James. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you again next week.